All right, how many of you have had a cup of coffee today already? A cup of coffee? A few of you have had a cup of coffee at least, or two cups of coffee. We can start doing an auction. Do I have three? Who had three? All right, we've got three. We've got, we've got five? We've got five cups of coffee. Do we have six cups of coffee? Six cups of... Five is the winner, five cups of coffee. All right. All right, so coffee, right? We drink a bit of coffee. Uh, Americans drink lots and lots and lots of coffee, right? It's a, it's a $20 billion global industry, right? So that is why the sale of coffee is uh, so important, right? It, it is a huge moneymaker, a huge uh, profit uh, for those who grow it and are a part of that, um, that distribution network, right? Uh, for Americans, any guesses on how, many, how much we spend Per year on coffee, $1,000 each on average. Yikes, maybe that could uh, say a little bit about our budgets, right? $1,000 a year on coffee uh, that, that we uh, on average are spending, which means there are people who spend a lot more than that, right? That's how averages work. We have a little bit of a caffeine addiction, most of the world's um, coffee is harvested in developing countries. And so it is an important export for these places. Uh, in Colombia, they um, have seen that it's such a valuable, uh, a valuable source of income for them that they have a whole federation of coffee growers that have formed. And they came up with a fictional coffee grower named Juan Valdez. Right? This was their big marketing push uh, for decades. Juan Valdez is the, is the face of, of Colombian-grown coffee, the 100% Colombian coffee. And he's, also, he, he, he's often seen with his mule that is, is carrying these bags of coffee beans, right? And so we have this image of our, in our head of Juan Valdez. Well, well Juan Val Valdez went through a bit of an image crisis in the early 2000s. And they weren't sure if the aging Juan could really uh, be the, the image of their coffee uh, any longer. And, and the advertising started to get sillier and sillier to the point that Juan Valdez is on a surfboard with his mule surfing, right? This is the image of of Colombian coffee, right? And so they were ready to, to nix this whole campaign and move on to some other image that this, this icon had, had run its course. Uh, but then they got connected with another consultant in Oregon who advised them to hold on to Juan, to hold on to this image of this coffee grower. They said, Juan Valdez taps into a fundamental human truth. The things we savor the most are the hardest earned. And so Juan Valdez went, went through an image makeover to create this image of, of hands growing and raising coffee by hand. And so the Federation of Coffee Growers decided to introduce a new younger Juan instead of retiring him. Of course, they are not alone in their idea of creating this image of something that is authentic, right? This appeal to authenticity. Companies everywhere are trying to, to tap into consumers and convince them uh, to come toward brands that appear to be genuine, that appear to be true. There's this need for authenticity. And so authenticity is 
a hot thing in the marketing world. How can we create this image that something is really real and not fake real? That if you buy this product, if you, if you go to this place, if you participate in this thing, then you are experiencing and you are participating in the real deal, the real thing. Of course, too many times we try those real things and find out they are just really the fake thing. And the marketing did not live up to the message. But this is the question that is raised by John the Baptist as he is sitting in prison, awaiting execution, wondering if Jesus is the real deal or is he the fake deal? Is Jesus the real Messiah or is he a fake Messiah? Is he the one that we have been waiting for or should we be waiting for someone else? This is what John is wondering as he's in prison. He's asking this question of authenticity. Is Jesus the authentic Messiah or is he just a fake? We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. If you want to turn there, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 2. John the Baptist has been arrested, and he's now wondering, is all of this that I've gone through, all of this that I have been proclaiming, this thing that I am imprisoned for, is it the real deal? Is this the right direction to go? Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the real Messiah? Are you the real deal? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, the mo I tell you and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. So John starts with this question that he sends to Jesus. Are you the one, or should we expect someone else? We've been waiting for all this time for the Messiah to show up. We've been waiting for this moment, and I have been proclaiming that you are the one. But are you really the one? Are you the one that we've been waiting for, or should we just start over and wait again? John needed to know if Jesus was really the Messiah or if he was just a fake Messiah. And remember, at that time, there were a lot of other claims to those who said to be the Messiah. 
There were false messiahs running around the region claiming that God had chosen them or others believing that they were the messiah. There was a man named Judas of Galilee who led a a bloody revolt against the Roman census in the year 6. Simon was a slave of Herod who also became a messianic figure when he rebelled in the year 4. Theodos attempted a revolt against the Romans in the 40s and was killed. There were these other claims to the Messiah. It wasn't that, that Jesus showed up and he was the only one to make this claim. He was not the only one that had followers who made this claim of him. There were others there, and so John has to ask, are you the one? Things are not necessarily going the way we might have expected. Are you the one? Or should we wait for somebody else? And so the, the answer that Jesus gives is kind of fascinating. Because Jesus doesn't say yes. Jesus doesn't confirm it. Instead, Jesus points to the evidence and gives this evidence and asks John and the others to make their own choice. Draw their own conclusions. He presents them with evidence, and when he's done, he just leaves it for them to decide. He says, go back and report to John. These are the things that you hear. These are the things that you see. Is this evidence pointing to me being the Messiah? That the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor? Is this evidence enough that I am the Messiah? Jesus says, look at what I'm doing. Look at what's happening around me. And you decide for yourself whether I'm really the Messiah. And Jesus is using here messianic language that comes out of Isaiah. Last week we spent time walking through Isaiah and and the different pieces that point to the kingdom of God. And that Jesus comes as a fulfillment to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is using this same language to describe his ministry, to describe what he's doing. Has the Messiah come? Isaiah talks about the coming of the Messiah, talks about the coming of the kingdom of God. We talked last week about about 17 passages through Isaiah that give us a picture of what it is to be a part of the kingdom, to what... A look at what the reign of God is, the reign that Jesus comes in and inaugurates. Characteristics that come from that are, are God's presence as spirit or light, talk of deliverance or salvation, a picture of peace, healing, joy, a return from exile. Righteousness and justice going hand in hand. This is the picture of the kingdom that that is presented in Isaiah, and Jesus continues to use this language in describing himself. That Isaiah talks about the Messiah coming and there, there being healing. See, there's healing. That there will be joy, that there will be a return. Deliverance, salvation. Jesus paints this picture and says, okay, here is the evidence. 
The prophecies were made of a Messiah, and here is what I am doing. You make the choice. And so, so just like a, a coffee marketing company might say, don't listen to Juan Valdez, just drink the coffee. And Jesus is saying, just look at what I'm doing. Authenticity is found in actions, not in words, not in a marketing slogan. It's found in actions, and here are the actions of Jesus. Now, it's pretty bold of, of someone to give themselves as evidence for something, right? Evidence of the real authentic thing, right? Like, like for me, I would not want to say, look at my life and look at my kingdom living and because of that, here is evidence that Jesus is the Messiah, right? I don't trust myself that well, right? Like, like how many of us want to say, okay, my life is so with it and so in alignment with the kingdom of God that it points clearly that Jesus is the Messiah. Anyone want to stand up and, and do that for us now? Like your life is so in line with the kingdom, I'm not going to do that. Like, I need a lot more grace than that. Like, I can testify that, that the grace of God points to Jesus. But I can't say that my life, in its fullness, can be held as an example and a witness to the evidence of Jesus. That's a bold, bold claim. And that's the claim that Jesus is making. That if you look at the evidence of his life, if you look at all that he's done and all that he is doing in his ministry, then that is evidence enough to point to the claim that he is the Messiah. He is fully living out the principles of the kingdom. He's fully living out those values, and he can make those claims because his actions match completely and perfectly the words. He's not suffering from a false advertising kind of situation, right? Where the claims and the promotion and the marketing don't fully match the experience, right? How many of you have bought something online, and you read that description and it shows up in the mail, and you open it up, and this thing is completely different than what you experienced, right? Like online, it said this, and you open it up, and it's like five sizes too small, or it's not complete, or it's missing some piece, or, or it's just not the quality that you expected, right? Like we, we have this experience where something claims to be something, and you go in, and it doesn't meet that expectation, right? But Jesus doesn't have that problem, right? You sit for a moment with Jesus and there is no, no trace of false advertising. You sit with Jesus and, and everything that was advertised about him is true. No false marketing here. No bait and switch. No letdown that it wasn't as great as you thought it was going to be. That's the kind of product that I want to buy, right? All the marketing and all the hype is everything that it claimed to be. 
that's Jesus. And so Jesus tells John's followers, go and tell John, it's not all hype, it's true. Look at the evidence, look at what you see, it's really happened. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are being cleansed. The deaf are regaining their hearing. The dead are being raised. And the poor are hearing the good news of the kingdom. Look at what Jesus is doing here. Not at what he's saying. He's not just talking the talk. He is walking the walk. If we want to use cliches. His actions are proving that he's really real, that he's not a fake. He is the authentic Messiah. And then Jesus does something in the, the second half of this passage where he, he turns it back toward John the Baptist. He's giving credit to John for his own authenticity. He, said, he says, what did you go out into the wilderness to look at? When, when the crowd goes out there to see someone, what were they expecting? Were they expecting somebody dressed in fine robes? Were they expecting somebody that was polished and clean? Because we have these images of John the Baptist that are quite the opposite, right? They're, they're, they're go, they go out there and they're shocked to find this, this man dressed in camel skin, drinking, eating, and, eating locusts and drinking honey. Like this is a wild, unkempt man. And they go out not because of what he's wearing, not because of what he's eating, not because of the image that he's portraying, but because of the message that he has. That John is an authentic messenger. He's the real deal. He's the one with the right words pointing to Jesus. And in a way, Jesus is, is mocking those who would have hiked out into the wilderness to hear the preaching of John the Baptist, only to be offended by his clothing. The clothing is not the point. The image is not the point. Jesus says, look, those, those who wear soft robes, those are part of, of royal palaces. But John is a prophet, not a royal palace advisor. Even more so, John is he's, he's more than a prophet. He, insi he insists Jesus is the one that was written about. And Jesus quotes here and says, I will send my messenger ahead of you. You will prepare your way before me. John is the messenger that was foretold about prophesied about in Malachi, the one who will prepare the way for the authentic Messiah. And so John is not just a royal yes man. He's not, one, not just a polished marketing figure. He's not just a, a fictional character selling coffee. John is the real thing. John is the authentic messenger. He has a mission that has been given to him 
by calling people into repentance and, and baptizing them to cleanse them of their sins. And John is fulfilling that. So Jesus is not only the real person in this passage of Scripture, but John the Baptist is authentic as well. We have an authentic Messiah. We have an authentic messenger. And so John himself actually comes as proof of Jesus' own messianic identity. John himself is fulfillment of these prophecies. But then we see verse 11. This comment that Jesus makes that's difficult to interpret and a bit confusing. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John is great. But those who follow him will be even greater. And so Jesus here is predicting that not only is he the authentic Messiah, and not only is John the authentic messenger, but there will be authentic disciples that will follow. Ones who follow that will surpass even John the Baptist in their faithfulness and effectiveness. And so there will be authentic disciples that come and follow Jesus. Ones that live out these kingdom values. One that will point to Jesus. What does it look like to be an authentic disciple of Jesus? What kind of life is that? That we can never live it out perfectly where we are the evidence of Jesus. But, but, but can we be authentic in who we are as disciples? as ones who follow Jesus, as ones who carry out his name. The magazine Fast Company had an article that was, was talking through the, the Juan Valdez marketing phenomenon and the, the, the desire for a more authentic image for the coffee growers. And in that article, the, the author lists out four different things that are are things that contribute to authenticity. And so I'm going to hijack those and look at what authenticity looks like for a marketer. But then what does authenticity look like for us as disciples? And so the first thing they say is that authenticity requires a sense of place. A sense of place. That when we are talking about being true to something, it has to be connected with a, a place, with a story. If you want to drink a bottle of champagne, it has to come from the Champagne region of France, not just any place, right? That's just sparkling wine. It has to come from a, a place, a location, some, a story that is rooted in a physical place. We have a story of Jesus, a story that is rooted in a physical place, a place in history, a place on the globe. It's not abstract, it's not disconnected, it's not made up, it's not fictional, that it is something that has roots in a physical, actual location. And so, as authentic disciples of Jesus, we are rooted in a real story, a real place, real events, 
that happens. That the cross is a physical location and the empty tomb is a real physical location. And as authentic disciples, we are a part of that story. It's not a made-up story. It's not a marketing campaign. It's real. And as we're in this time of Advent, we remember that Jesus comes as a real baby. Not Not a fairy tale. That there was a real birth and a real baby, and a real Jesus. And we hold to that truth as authentic disciples. Another thing that authenticity requires is, seeing, is being a part of a larger purpose. And so in businesses, they're, they're trying to, to market and sell a story that is a part of a larger purpose. The problem is, is their purpose is really just to make money. And so people very quickly see through the stories and the marketing to say, no, they really just want to make more money. They're not part of a larger purpose. They say they're a part of a larger purpose. But really? But as authentic disciples, can we say that we are a part of a larger purpose? A larger mission of God? a kingdom of God, that that's what we are a part of. And that's not just a marketing slogan. It's not just a mission statement for corporate conference rooms. Like, that's really who we are as followers of Jesus. That we are a part of the mission of God. And there is no purpose greater than that. We're a part of something a part of something real, a part of something much bigger than ourselves. A third thing that they talk about for authenticity is a strong point of view. And a strong point of view is is people who have a very clear and passionate focus on what they're doing. When you walk into Chick-fil-A, And you ask a worker for something, and you say thank you, what do they say? Wow, you have been trained well in the Chick-fil-A marketing. It's never your welcome. It's never a sure. It's never a okay. It's always my pleasure. Because there has been a training for them that is very focused and very clear on what it is they're to do and how they're to respond in these situations. Starbucks has, has huge manuals of training. And, for, and you have to go through and write out all the different situations and how you would respond to these situations. So if, if this thing comes up, you have to script out what it is that you would respond with. They're prepared for it, right? And so their customer service is high because they prepared well for the customer service. They have a very clear point of view on what it is they're trying to accomplish. Now for them, it's about customer service. 
It's about coffee, it's about chicken sandwiches, it's about sales. But for us, what is our point of view? What is our passion? What is it that we immediately respond with when we find ourselves in the missionary context that we've been talking about? When we find ourselves in the grocery stores and we find ourselves in the, in the neighborhoods and in the workplaces and in our homes, what is the point of view that we come through with? What are we aligning ourselves to? Jesus gives us something very distinctive. In, in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father in heaven. I see a Chick-fil-A employee and I say, Ah, they've, got, they've had great training on, on manners. When somebody sees us as authentic disciples, what do they see? And what are we pointing to in that experience? And then finally, authenticity involves integrity. And this is where companies really struggle. Because it's easy to sniff through a marketing slogan. It's easy to sniff through flashy marketing, great branding, great design. Integrity is about actions matching words. And that's what we see in Jesus. And so when people come into this gathering, when people interact with us, when they see us, what do they see? Are they going to sniff out something where actions and words are incongruent with one another? Or do they see an integrity between the two? That what we say about ourselves is what we really are. What we say about our church, what we say about this family, what we say about our own lives, what we say about Jesus, does it match our actions? Because one of the things that has happened with all this marketing genius to sell us things, is we have become very savvy shoppers. And we can sniff through it pretty well. And so what do people see through us? What do people experience through us? We say we're a people who love God and love others. Is that just a marketing slogan? Is it just something to put on letterhead? Is it just something to paint on walls, to put on t-shirts? Or is it something that is real? Something that's authentic? Something that really matches who Jesus is? So John asks this question, Jesus, are you really who you say you are. And Jesus says, look at the evidence. Look at the evidence. This is who I am.
And as his followers, as his disciples, we're called to the same thing. Look at the evidence. Not at the great things that we do, but a great Messiah who's shining through us and seen through us. Let's be standing together.